Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading for today is Mark 7, 24 to 30. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bri. Appreciate it. You know, today we're going to talk about hope, especially the hope that, you know, we really want when things seem hopeless. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there in that place. Um, I can remember a real low and discouraging time in my life when I I, I just couldn't believe where I was at. And I I can remember saying out loud, Lord, how am I going to get through this? And, you know, obviously I'm here. But look, you know, I think that we could all say that, um, you know, your heart could be uh, beating, your lungs could be breathing, and you could be alive. But if you don't have hope, it's hard to really live. It's really hard to live. And, and, you know, as a pastor and as an elder in churches, um, you know, I I think one of the the most hope-filled prayers that I've heard are from parents who are praying for children that are hurting. You know, it's, it's just like they pour out their hearts. I was in a uh, surgical waiting room with two parents as we just prayed through the heart surgery of their little baby who uh, was having a, a pacemaker put in his little tiny chest uh, because he had Tin Man disease or syndrome where his heart was just slowly slowing down until it would stop. So he needed to have this pacemaker. I, I was... And I remember another time, for days, there was like prayer vigils as, as I sat with parents as they prayed over their little eight-year-old who was in a coma because he was struck by a car. And the hope that was in those prayers, and, and probably no greater hope and faith that I've ever heard in parents. I was walking silently in a procession uh, at a cemetery as an uncle carried this little Coleman cooler sized coffin into the final resting place of his little niece. And I walk with the parents 
as they just prayed through their tears and hoped that there was really a heaven and there was really a resurrection. Well, today we're going to find out that there really is hope when it's hopeless. In fact, we're going to find out that hope isn't in an outcome, but hope is actually in a person. And, and I think it's going to really transform you know, how we see hope, and I think it's going to be a blessing. So we're going to begin talking about this story that Bree read. It starts in Mark chapter 7. I don't know if you want to use your Bibles in a pew, or maybe you have a smartphone and you just open up, uh, um, you know, verse or something like that. But, you know, follow along. And as you get to Mark 7, verse 24, let me kind of get you up to speed. I remember last Sunday, Pastor Adam talked about this passage where Jesus had another verbal skirmish with the Pharisees. And it was all about cleanliness, about clean. What's clean? And, and they had their version of what was clean, and Jesus gave them God's version of what is clean. Well, after that, it seems that he just gathered his disciples together, and he went north. He went to a Gentile town. And that's where we pick up this story. Verse 24 says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. What's that about? Yet, he could not keep his presence secret. So what's going on here? Well, first let's talk about the walk. Tyre, uh, from Capernaum, where Jesus was at, is about 36 to 40 miles. <laughs> All right? So that means that we would, if, <laughs> if we were to walk that far today, we would walk from here past Great Flags America <laughs> to the Wisconsin border. Okay, at a three-mile-an-hour clip, which is a fast walk, because I walk with a guy who used to walk at three miles an hour, and I was huffing and puffing at the end of the walk. It would take like three, 13 hours, and that's without stopping for anything. Okay? So what about this whole thing of, uh, yeah, he was trying to get into this house and not be seen, but he couldn't stop it. Well, there's two things that that might be. First of all, Jesus drew a crowd I mean, wherever he was, people had heard about him all over the place. There were people coming to him because, you know, they just wanted to be healed. There were other people that were coming to him that they wanted to see something like miraculous happen, you know, and be there at the scene. And there were other people that had heard that Jesus was saying things that no one had ever heard before, and they wanted to hear those things. And there's a possibility he just didn't want to have a crowd. The other possibility, and maybe they both work together, is that Jesus was a Jew in a Gentile town. That was a problem. You know, this, this uh, Tyre uh, would be, the people of Tyre would be considered by the Jewish people Canaanites. Canaanites were the people that were so evil that God kicked them out of Israel, uh, Palestine, and gave the, the land to the Isra Israelites. So that's those people. Now, the, the, the people in Tyre, however, they didn't see themselves as Canaanites. They saw themselves as Phoenicians. This, this marketing people who, who ran the whole shoreline of, of the Mediterranean and, and harvested all its goods and, and all of its gold and, and just had this incredible city of their own. And there was a, that history had gone back and over time it had been both 
kind of hard times between the Jews and the, and the people of, of uh, Tyre, and good times. So there was a lot of rough history. Now, if you remember last time um, we got together, Adam was talking about the fact that when um, Jews got around Gentiles, they didn't want to get too comfy with them. They didn't want any of their Jewish friends to think that there were, um, they were acting a little Gentile. And the Gentiles didn't want to get too close to the Jewish people. You know, there was just prejudices about that. And, and they didn't want to have their Gentile people feel like they were getting too Jewish. So, in fact, that was such a stigma, it was such a, a prejudice that a Jewish person wouldn't necessarily go to a Gentile town unless he was doing business. It was just the way it was. And after he got done doing business, he would take his coat off and he would shake out the dust. And he'd put it back on, he'd take his little flip-flops off and he'd pound them out, make sure that there was no Gentile dust coming back to his Jewish town. In fact, it was so bad that a Jew wouldn't even enter underneath the roof of a Gentile's house. That's some of the history that was going on between these people. So I think in part, Jesus was being sensitive to this. And he was just being cautious. He knew it would be a stir for a Jewish rabbi to be creating a scene in a Gentile town. So, but the thing that I, I, I want to kind of, before I jump into the, the rest of the message, I kind of want to pause here because it's amazing. Think about it. 40 miles north of the, 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 the most northern part of Israel, in a Gentile town, people know all about Jesus. He had captivated the minds and the hearts of people. People wanted to see who this miracle-working rabbi was. They, were, they couldn't stop talking about it. I mean, there, was, there wasn't any mail. There wasn't television. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Instagram. And people were finding out about him because people couldn't stop talking about him. I was wondering, I was thinking about myself. Am I so captivated with Jesus that I can't stop talking about him? Ruh row. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been like praying for this time for my next door neighbor, but man, if I was so captivated with Jesus, I'd already told him like 20 times already, you know, about how great things that Jesus has done in my life. So I just kind of like a thing, tuck it away in the back of your heart and say, you know what, am I so captivated with Jesus? I can't stop talking about him. Wouldn't it be great? Oh my goodness, that would be so awesome. So, we go on. Verse 25. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So evidently, this woman had heard about Jesus. And she saw him, and this is really important, she saw him as hope. Okay, she had had a hope that, that there would be a different outcome for her daughter. She was hoping in a different outcome for her daughter, but nothing had happened. So now all of a sudden she takes the hope and instead of putting it in the outcome, she puts it in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And that's probably the most important thing that we could learn from this story. Is that our hope in hopeless times is not in a different outcome. It's in the person who has the ability, the sovereignty, to rule over that outcome. She had hope in Jesus. Whatever she knew about him, and we don't know what she knew about him. We don't know how she found out about him. You know, maybe she was, uh, uh, heard the story how, how he had cast out thousands of demons out of this, this man, you know, in this other, this other town, this other Gentile town. And her daughter only had one. Certainly he could cast out one if he could cast out thousands. So she had placed her hope in this hopeless situation in Jesus. And I'm telling you, we all could do that. And we all need to keep our hope there. Because it's real easy to get caught up in, 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 in having the circumstances change. No, we want to put our hope in the one who actually is sovereign over our circumstances. Okay? And, and there's something else that... Uh, in this really short two verses, there's just a boatload of stuff that I think that's really important for us to stop and think about. Um, Jesus was her hope, so she reached out to him immediately. Immediately. She didn't wait around. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency, when I'm in a situation that's looking like it's kind of rough, I start thinking, you know what? Um, I've got I to gotta think my way out of this. You know, or, or maybe, um, uh, maybe if I just save enough money, I could take care of it. And the reality is, is that I have this whole litany of things that sometimes I'll pursue instead of going directly and immediately to Jesus. You know, I, I'll, he's the guy that I go to when I'm at the end of my rope instead of the beginning of my rope. You know, and, and this, this, this is a pagan, probably a pagan woman and she knows where her hope is and God's put this in here so that he could tell us through the the actions of this pagan woman that our hope needs to be first in Jesus and go to him immediately that's not a hard thing to do I, I think so finding hope when it's hopeless is going to Jesus immediately there's a second thing that I think that's really amazing here and this this pagan mom teaches us that if Jesus is her hope or our hope, reach out to him humbly. She fell down. Do you get this? She fell down on her knees. I mean, she was probably in a marketplace with people walking all over the place. There was probably a lot of people going, hey, there he is. Let's go see what he's going to do, you know? And, she, and she's over there and she's falling in front of him and begging him. To help her daughter. Anybody out there do that lately? <laughs> Anybody out there get on their knees and pray lately? I mean, you know, I know Hebrews has got that little verse in it that says that we can go boldly into the, the throne room of God. You know, and, and it does say that. Okay. But it doesn't mean walk into the throne room like we own it. Okay. Our Father owns it, all right? And, and actually, the word that's translated bold, you know, I, I think I read somewhere that there are 16,000 different words in the Hebrew and the Greek and 
Chaldean and Arabic that are in the Bible. English translates those 16,000 different words into 6,000. We have such a weak language that it doesn't convey everything maybe quite as, as precisely as it could be. And, and the word for boldly actually means confidently. It means that I can go to my father and tell him exactly what's on my heart. I, what's ever on the table, I can put it on the table. If I'm angry, I could tell him I'm angry about something. It's okay with him. He's big enough. He could handle it. You know, if I'm nervous, if I'm anxious, and I should be trusting him, it's okay. He gets it. We could come confidently before him. But we should come humbly. Humbly. Humbly before our Lord. If he's the hope that's uh, in our hopeless situation. The other thing that I thought that was really interesting in this really short uh, section here, I think I'm going to get in trouble with this one, so, yeah. Um, this pagan mom teaches us that if Jesus is our hope, we should go to him courageously. Courageously. All right, now why do I say that? In the Gentile city of that time, Gentile women had no voice. And, and instead, what she did, she didn't care about that. In a Gentile city at that time, it would be really improper for a woman to come and address a man. All right? Not only that, she was a Gentile, and she was letting all of her neighbors go that she was going to a Gentile, I mean, a, a Jewish rabbi instead of a pagan priest about what was going on with her daughter. She knew she was going to get it. But she didn't care. Because she had one thing on her mind. And it was her daughter. Now, you know, we need to be courageous like that. She didn't care who knew about her prayer. She didn't care who knew about her prayer request. You know, um, we need to be brave like that. We need to share with each other what we're praying about. Okay, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. I, I, when I get Grace Connect, you know, the first button I go to is that little leaf that says prayer. And I click on it, you know. And it's always great. You know, it's all this stuff to pray about. And, and um, except for the missionary prayer, most of the time we treat that like it's the ER room for our health concerns. And I look at that and I say, wow, we must be a pretty healthy spiritual church. You know, we have no broken relationships to pray about. Isn't that amazing? All we have to pray about is our aches and pains. You know, all of our marriages are absolutely perfect. You know, it, it, it's like, <laughs> it's like everything is about our bodies when we should also be praying about our souls. Now, I get it, okay? I get that, you know, I'm not going to put out, there, you know, if I, like, Candy and Wayne say, pray about their marriage. Everybody's going to be like, <laughs> man, they're putting up a good front, man. I thought they were doing good, you know? Wow, I guess they're just like us. <laughs> but you know what? That's Okay. You know, maybe we got to figure out a way to put up anonymous prayer requests so we could say, hey, listen, you know, we're just really praying that our marriage would be strengthened. 
I want an act, I want an Ephesians 5 marriage. You know, a, a wife who's, who's willingly uh, submissive to me, the way the church is submissive to Christ, and Christ is submitted to her, his Father. And, and, and we want a husband who's going to love his wife the way Jesus loved the church and, and gave himself for her. You know, can we just say that? And if we can't say that, maybe we could just shrink it a little bit, you know? And, 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 and maybe this is a really good reason to be in a growth group. You can go to that growth group and say, listen, what's in this growth group stays in this growth group, but this is what's going on, and I need you to pray. I need you to pray. This pagan woman didn't care who knew. She didn't care who knew. She knows she was going to Jesus who was going to intercede for her. Okay? I, I could be able to go to you and, and know that you're going to intercede for me. It's so important for us to be able to get over that hump. So our prayers are including everything, the whole spectrum of our being. So, let me tell you a story about a brave prayer. Katie. When I was a pastor, I did a series on prayer. And the last series about the, was about the church praying and the power of the church praying, okay? So, um, you know, I get to the end of the sermon and I'm like, well, you know, um, let's have the whole church pray. Who, who's got something out there that we could pray about? You know how long it feels when things are quiet for like 10 seconds or 15 seconds? Or, it's like a year goes by, you're sitting there, oh my gosh, this is crickets, it's amazing. All of a sudden, Katie gets up in the back. Katie's probably in her late 20s. Young married woman, very quiet. She, worked, she was served on a worship team, beautiful voice. She goes, Pastor, and I said, yeah, what, what do you got, Katie? She goes, well, my husband and I were going to a fertility doctor this week, and he's going to tell us whether or not in vitro fertilization will work because I can't conceive. Now it's really quiet at church. <laughs> you can hear a pin drop. And she, uh, she says, you know, the doctor wants to take all these tests because it's going to cost $15,000 to do this and we don't have the money. We're going to have to take a mortgage out on our house. It's not covered by insurance. So we prayed. Two weeks later, I'm on to another sermon series. The sermon's over. And all of a sudden, I notice someone sits down next to me. I look around, it's Katie. And she goes, Pastor Wayne, could I get up and tell the people where, where things are at? And I'm like, gosh, I hate when people do that last second. You know, I never know what they're going to say, you know. And Holy Spirit's going like, go with it, I got this. <laughs> so she gets up and she said, I went to the doctor. The doctor told me not to waste my time, not to waste my emotions, and not to waste my money. My body is not fit to conceive. She goes, if that wasn't bad enough news, <laughs> she goes, I had the flu and I was just sick. And she goes, I had scheduled another doctor appointment to go to my general practitioner. So I heard that and I went to this one and she goes, I was just a mess. And she goes, I walk in, she goes, I feel sick, you know, and can you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor says, okay, take this test, take that test, take this test. Nurse comes in, doctor says, the nurse says, you don't have the flu, doctor wants to talk to you. Doctor comes in and says, you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Let's be courageous with our prayers. Let's be courageous about sharing them with one another. I, I just think this is, oh man, this is just phenomenal. So, um, where am I at here? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, this whole story, well, let me start here first. This whole thing about demonization, are people still demonized? Let me just address that real quickly, okay? Uh, yes, that's the fast answer. I mean, I, I don't think you could look at our culture right now and see all the violence and the addiction and the perversion and the, the vitriol and not realize that somewhere along the way there are demons involved in this. It's, it's just that bad, okay? Uh, do demons demonize people? Yes, I've seen that. I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, I've been a part of that. And it's a scary thing. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You, I, and Jesus Christ have authority. So I hope you never come across it. But if you do, remember that. Um, I'll leave it there. So, so far the story is just like what happens to everybody. Someone, Jesus turns and comes to a town Everybody turns out to see Jesus, and the first thing they do is they ask him for healing, right? And that's exactly what this woman is doing, and that's exactly what every other story has looked like so far until now. Now things are going to get dramatically different. So she's asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says, first, let the little children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to give the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I mean, come on, Jesus. What are you doing here? I mean, where's that sweet guy who's compassionate about everybody? I mean, dogs, really? So let's take this apart. Um, Matthew kind of adds to the story a little bit because in Matthew's account of the same story, he says that Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So let's talk about the plan first. God had a plan from the beginning of time, from the time that Adam and Eve fell, that he was going to redeem the world. And he was going to pick a man, from that man would come a nation, that nation through faith would become a light to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world would come to know God through that nation. Jesus was part of that plan. And that was God's plan. And Jesus had come to fulfill everything that had been foretold. And he was there to, to bring life, life to Israel so that they could then become the light of the world. People would look at him and say, whoa, there is a God and, and he lives with them. I, I want to be in that family. I want to live on that block. Well, that's what it was supposed to look like. And Jesus was on that plan and he was staying on that plan. And so basically he was telling her there's a plan and, and it's for Israel first. But don't worry. The plan includes you, but not yet. Okay? And then there's the second part. This whole thing about the bread. Well, there was this miraculous feeding of manna in the wilderness. And bread came down out of heaven. 
and it kept Israel alive. Jesus is saying, that's a picture, okay? That's a picture of me because I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven and I'm going to keep everybody alive who eats me. Not for a day, forever, forever, okay? So why didn't Jesus just tell that to this lady, you know? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One is that she didn't come there for a history lesson. She probably wasn't interested in listening to theology because she had one thing on her mind, and it was her daughter. But what about this dog thing? I mean, come on. I mean, really? Well, this is where some of our translation in English is a little not as, as, as like, like I understand, I don't understand Spanish, but Spanish is supposed to be a beautiful language to translate the Bible into because it's so similar. Um, anyway, the word for dog, you know, is there's two words that they use for dog. One was kind of a, a, a pack dog that ran scavenging, you know, in the town. It was almost, it was almost friendly, but, you know, given the right circumstances and being hungry enough, it could be a predator. That's not the word that Jesus used. Jesus used the word that we would call, like, a lap dog, a family pet. In fact, it's diminutive, so it would be like a doggy, a puppy, okay? And he's saying, listen, he said, I want to tell you, he said, the puppy eats everything the family eats because there was no Elpo or Purina dog child back then, okay? So what would happen is that the, the family would eat and then they would feed the dog what was left over. It was simple as that. And, and this lady got that. She understood that. You know, uh, I, I think she understood that because of, of uh, what she says next. Now, she doesn't say to Jesus, how dare you call me and my daughter a dog? Who do you call a dog? She doesn't say that. Listen to what she says. It's like a humble, wise answer. She says to Jesus, yes, Lord. Wow, yes, I agree with you. She replies, but even the little doggies under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her response is, humble. Yeah, you know, 2,000 years ago, and, and what, she's, what she's kind of doing is she's taking the response that Jesus gave and she's giving it back to him. And this is what she's doing. 2,000 years ago, people, the common people, they didn't have uh, forks, knives, and spoons at the table. Okay? So what they had is this. Pitas, non bread, you know, it's the flatbread. And what they would do is, this was their fork. This was their spoon. they tear off a little piece of this. they go to their bowl and they'd, you know, scoop up some, uh, you know, tzatziki or some, uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you've done it with hummus. You've probably done it with chili. You probably do it with soup, right? You just scoop it up with stew. And they would use that and they would eat. And then they, when they got finished with that piece, they'd break off another piece and they'd start eating a little bit more you know, and, and, uh, and then they got to the end of the meal. And this is what they would do. This is from what I understand from, you know, the research that I did. Is that they'd take the remainder of the bread and they'd wipe their face with it. 
They'd wipe any of the grease or the drippings of the hand on it. They would go to their bowl and they would scoop up everything that was left and they'd give it to the puppy. The dog ate everything that the family ate. Jesus, Jesus, this lady is saying, listen, I get that. I get that. But aren't there little crumbs right now for this puppy? For this little doggy? Can't you just do that for me now? I think Jesus loved what he heard. <laughs> I mean, she probably, he was like, Peter, did you hear that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I think he was stunned at it. He was thrilled, you know. And, and uh, so what does Jesus said? He says, and Jesus told her, wow, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on a bed. The demon gone, gone. Matthew adds something else that's not in Mark's. Jesus said, you know, because of that faith, go ahead, it's been done for you. You see, there's a relationship between hope and faith. They support one another. They make each other strong together. And when we have hope, we need to have faith. And, it, and it's, again, it's not an outcome. It's, it's in the person who has control of the outcome. The one who's sovereign over our outcomes. And this, this woman, she went home and, and because she, she had come to Jesus immediately, because she, she came to him, in essence, with will, with perseverance, Jesus gave her a direct answer that was like, you know, it's not going to happen right now. Instead of taking that as a no, she very humbly pushed back at Jesus and said, you know what? I really think that you could do it now too. I really believe that you could do this. I believe that even now there's crumbs falling off the table that can bless my daughter. I believe that. I believe that. And so uh, the, another thing, that if Jesus is your hope, Reach out to him with perseverance. Don't give up. How many times, I've been there, how many times if I on Monday something happens at work and I'm going, oh my gosh, I've got to be praying about this. And by Thursday, when I get to the place where it's supposed to be done, I'm like, oh, I forgot all about praying about it. You know why? Because I'm praying with whim instead of with will. God is a God of will. Do you understand that God is a God of will? He's always had a plan. His plan doesn't change. In fact, it says at the right time, at the proper time, in the fullness of time, it happens. That's what he's trying to make us. He's trying to make us children of will so that we look like his son, who's the son of will. And so he wants us to be men and women, children of will as well. Oh, here's a, big, here's a good one, too. I, I know we've all done this. Oh, I can't believe that's happened to you. So, you know what? I'm going to pray for you all week. And then what happens? You pray for them that night, that night. You pray for them the next day. And then, and then you get to church the next Sunday, and, and, and there's Michael. And you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to pray the whole week. So you stop and pray, right? And then you go up to Michael and say, yeah, I was just praying for you. You know, <laughs> because, you know... 
Let's not do that. Let's be, let's not do that. Poor Michael. So I don't know, maybe some of you have heard this, but there's, have you ever heard of push praying? I've heard that mostly with missionaries. It's P-U-S-H prayers. It's basically, I've heard this from missionaries, pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Can I hear that from you? Pray until something happens. It may be yes, it may be no, it may be wait, but you pray until something happens. So, I mean, we look at this, and here's this Syrophoenician mother. She's probably a pagan, and she's not only taught us that Jesus is our hope, but she's taught us how to pray. I think it's just phenomenal. So if Jesus is our hope, go to him immediately. If Jesus is our hope, reach out to him humbly. If Jesus is our hope, reach out to him courageously. If Jesus is your hope, reach out to him with perseverance and will. So, I want to stop there, but I can't. Because it's like a good Jinsu knife commercial. There's more. (laughs) All right? I just want to say three things about Jesus. That's so important that we need to know about him. Number one, Jesus, when you're hopeless and you're looking for hope, Jesus is going to come to you before you go to him. Jesus is going to reach out to you before you reach out to him. Why do I say that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did here. He walked 40 miles to get to this woman because she needed help. Okay? And, and, and Scripture tells us that God draws close to the brokenhearted. Do you hear that? He draws close to the brokenhearted. That means if you're walking with Jesus and something happens and you're brokenhearted, it means that he comes and he walks alongside of you. And if he's walking alongside of you and something bad happens, he's going to put his arm around you. And, and, and if you're, he's got his arm around you and something terrible happens, he's going to pick you up and carry you. Okay? Uh, the second thing that I think is really important to, to know about Jesus is that uh, Jesus listens to anyone who comes to him intentionally in prayer, with a prayer of faith. Anyone. I've had people ask me over and over again, does God answer prayers of people who don't believe? This is a pagan lady worshiping a pagan God, and she, out of hope, that Jesus could do something. She went to him in faith and he answered her prayer. And that goes for us too when you know we, we, we pray, reach out to God about something in our life but we've known that we've been backslidden for months. Or we've been a jerk with our spouse for a couple weeks. And all of a sudden something hits the fan and I'm like, you know what? Reach out to God intentionally with prayer and faith, and he will answer. And the third thing I just want to get you to this is really important, is that sometimes, sometimes you're going through what you're going through because Jesus wants you to come close to him. That lady would have never come to Jesus had her daughter not been suffering. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, God's up in heaven and like, oh, I've got to have Wayne come close to me. Zap, you know, oh, I'm coming close, Lord. No, 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 no. 
we live in a fallen world, okay? And bad things happen to good people. And God redeems that by drawing you close to Him. And not only is the word fallen, you and I are fallen. And a lot of the pain we go through is because we chose to be there. And God is still loving and chooses to redeem that, to draw us close to Him as He comes to us. So, Mark's story ends right there. And so does my sermon. Lord, I just want to um, pray for all of us now, Lord. It's just, please help us to be excited about you coming to us when we're needy. Show us that you are our hope and, and not the circumstances or the outcome we're looking for, but you're our hope. And that you have power over our circumstances and, 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 and you could create them and, and move them in a way, redeem them, that really is a blessing to us. Father God, I pray that we heard something that we could take home that's about prayer, that's about you, and that we could live in that truth and grow in that truth and be so captivated by that truth that we share you with everybody. I pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.